I think for most of us, our most significant impact we will have is right around the corner from where we live. Our sermon series is called Around Every Corner, and it's right here where we will have an impact. And uh, if we do ministry, if we serve around every corner, you know who we're going to run into? Kids. Kids are everywhere. They're around every corner. They're part of the most significant ministry and service a church and Christians can have. But uh, children are some of the most important people to serve and some of the most difficult because they don't follow adult rules. They don't get embarrassed very easily. In fact, they don't understand what embarrasses parents or adults very easily. And uh, to get that, just ask Robert Kelly, who is an American political analyst on inter-Korean affairs, being interviewed on BBC after a really significant uh, thing just happened in North Korea. Take a look. Uh, And I just love that last bit where his wife reaches in, (laughs) bending down to close the door because we can't see her right, if she's down low. Uh, you should Google uh, BBC Dad. Uh, he will be known as that, and it's been a year, and there's stories of what happened after that. But I'll tell you this, he learned a lesson from kids, his kids. Always put a lock on your office door when you're going to be on national television. Whew. We can learn lessons. Um, from our children as well, and uh, we do. We learn from Jesus' interaction with children, and I just think it's awesome that there is an interaction with children that Jesus has, and uh, we will learn from it. Uh, Jesus' response is fantastic. It's history-changing. The response of his disciples, not so much. So we will see that as well as we uh, read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. So listen, it says, The people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. The disciples shooed them off. But Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of the life in the kingdom. Mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Then gathering the children up in his arms, he laid his hands of blessing on them. So these are powerful, uh, there are powerful lessons for us to learn from this text. And I'm happy to report that as we look at the church throughout history, the first lesson we learn is we've gotten it amazingly right. So take a look. This is um, Christmas Eve at Stonebridge, 1995. I put it up because a couple of my girls, well, both, I only have two. The two uh, girls, are uh, Naibo kids, are up there in the Christmas pageant uh, here 20-something years ago. Stonebridge has been ministering, serving children, inviting people uh, to bring children to Jesus for many, many years. And um, in fact, uh, today, or last night, yesterday, was the 56th anniversary of worship services here. July 14th, 1963, the first worship service invited uh, parents and kids to come and everybody signed. Uh, the, they sent a sheet around and set, had everybody sign uh, who was there. So we actually have Wes, who's at our 1030 service. He's on here. Grace at the hub, she's on here. Uh, so uh, we Stonebridge has been serving families and kids for a long time. And uh, 
The text says, the people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. Parents are still bringing their children here. A couple weeks ago, we know we had uh, 140 kids dropped off by parents here for church day camp all week long. Ministries uh, for every age continue to thrive around the world. I don't just mean from Stonebridge, from Christianity. Uh, Most of us served one time or another uh, as help for kids at the L.A. County Fair, which goes through the summer, right? And where is it hotter than at the L.A. County Fair? I sat in a cardboard box all day one day, no bigger than our drum set, uh, that was painted to look like a castle and read Bible stories to kids while the people outside were ministering to their parents or talking to their parents. I don't even remember what ministry, child crusade, something like that. But I know all of us have done different kinds of things and serving children. Uh, Groups like Young Life still reach high school uh, students all over the country. Uh, Gospel uh, Light is a publishing house that started at Hollywood Press with Henrietta Mears, and it still produces material all over the world. Mops, Mothers of Preschoolers, for 45 years has been in 60 countries helping mothers of those littlest ones and uh, reaching out to those children as well. And here's the interesting thing. All those moms, all those churches, all of us assume that ministry and service to children is important. We, we would not get an argument for that. That was not the norm before Christianity. But one of the most significant accomplishments of Christianity was something that most of us know nothing about. Christianity invented the cultural idea that children are treasured and precious human beings. Before Christianity, the Roman and and Greek understanding of children was that they were non-persons. In the book, uh, when when children became people, when children became people, the birth of childhood in early Christianity, um, he makes it clear uh, that there were concentric circles of people with males in charge being at the top and then slaves and then women and then children. Sorry, it was one of those circles, but thankfully we hopefully don't have those kinds of things now. But the children were out. I mean, imagine the horrible things that are done to children today when we know it's wrong. Imagine a society where it was fine. Christianity came in and changed that. Why? Because Jesus was absolutely revolutionary when he said, don't push these children away. Don't ever get between me and them. Wow. That's the one who we worship, Jesus Christ. The world changed uh, when people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them. So let's, I want to take that text, that sentence, and uh, take a look at it and how it might apply for us as we look to serve around every corner. So it begins, people. It wasn't, didn't say parents, which I really am happy about. It said people brought children to Jesus. We're people, so we can be included. And they brought children to Jesus. Now let's just, let's, let's generalize that just a little bit. And we could say people brought people to Jesus. That's us. We can bring people to Jesus. Why? Hoping that they 
would touch him. Do people need to be touched by Jesus today? I think so. Um, And it raises this question. Who are we bringing to Jesus? Who are we bringing to Jesus? So don't answer that yet. It says people brought children to Jesus hoping he might touch them. And I have no doubt that we are happy to bring people to Jesus when, when we th- understand they need his touch. And we know some people who might need his touch, but also people who are interested in his touch. That narrows the field a little bit. And, uh, but I'm guessing if we knew someone and they were open, that we would somehow want to introduce them. Uh, so we, 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 I think we would say, yes, Jesus touches people today. Can he touch broken hearts? and hurting families, and people whose minds and hearts are discouraged? Absolutely. Uh, can he touch old wounds and new doubts and future disappointments? Absolutely. Can Jesus um, touch people who are ready to give up on someone or something important in their life? Yes. And uh, how about people who are running to unhealthy things in their lives? Can Jesus touch them? Yes. How about this? Can he touch people just the way he touched you and me? Do you remember when he touched your heart, when he touched your life, when he's made a difference in your life? Um, Have you got an area in your life right now that you would say, I could use the touch of Jesus? If I asked for a show of hands, I bet a lot would go up, including mine. So um, I want us to do something. I want us to reach out and put our hand on the shoulder of the person in front of us or beside us. People in the front and the back, work it out. Uh, let's see if everybody can have a shoulder on their, uh, a hand on their shoulder. Everybody, everybody have a hand on a shoulder? All right, keep it there and let's pray. Lord, we are grateful that you assigned us the responsibility of being your hands on this earth while you're away. We are the physical representation of Jesus Christ on this earth, and we pray that you would touch the person we're touching, that the people who's, who are being touched would be touched by you, that the challenges in their lives would be reduced, that the hope in their hearts would be increased, that the discouragement and disappointments of their life would be washed away by the renewal of their minds and hearts in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you come and touch people today? We pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And maybe you would say, you know what, I haven't actually had that touch. We would love for you to to experience Jesus here. But not everyone's ready for Jesus' touch. Uh, But I imagine that if we thought about it, each of us would know someone who could use a divine connection. So I ask again, who are you bringing to Jesus? Uh, And let me be clear. I don't mean invite them to church. Seriously, church is the last place you should bring someone who doesn't know Jesus, who doesn't know anything about Jesus, who's never read the Bible, doesn't understand Christianity at all. I mean, and I'm not being facetious. Seriously, church should be the last place. Let's just walk through a church service. Somebody shows up, they've never, they don't know anything about Jesus, and and the first thing we do is ask them to sing. When do people sing in public? 
except at the national anthem at a game, right? And now what we want them to sing are songs about a God they don't even know exists, and it's love and praise and adoration. Yeah, and then if they make it through that, they get a speech about a book they've never read using language they've never heard of before. Apostle, disciple, scribes, Pharisees. And don't even get me started on King James. Oh my gosh, right? Um, Hearken, be ray, gainsay. I gainsay thou hast be... And if someone brand new survives all of that, we ask them for money. (laughs) And then just in case they haven't had enough, we sing more. Don't bring them to church. Where should you bring them? If you meet somebody, if you connect with somebody, and there is a sense, there is a longing in their heart, take them to Starbucks. Meet them there. And if they have an interest in anything faith-related, find a book and read it together with them. Meet once a week or once a month or something and get connected. And then when they finally are like, this is kind of interesting, invite them to a growth group when you're doing something fun. You know, not when you're studying Second Kings, you know, and then invite them to a service project with the church where they can go and make a difference in somebody else's life. Only when they say, where are you learning all of this stuff? Then sheepishly admit, well, it's my church and I would love for you to come, but you got to understand, it's going to be weird. (laughs) You know, I mean, it is. We are countercultural. That's okay. Um, So this text does not say bring people to church, but it does encourage us to bring people to Jesus. And uh, I would would encourage and challenge us. You know, we have six months left in this year. Who are we going to bring to Jesus? Is there one person we'll have at least taken a step with sometime this year to, to get them to connect more with Jesus? I think that's a good thing. Can we stop now? It would be good too. Because the next part is not nearly as pleasant. But it's scripture. Giving money, singing, even putting your hands on each other and praying is far more comfortable than what comes next. It is an indictment, a haunting indictment of Christians and the church. And at its core is our second lesson. We can get it frighteningly wrong. It says the people brought children to Jesus, hoping he might touch them, but the disciples shooed them off. They had a 50-50 chance of getting it right. Let them come or don't. And they messed it up. They got it wrong. Uh, but Jesus was having none of it. He, he rebuked them, which is one of those words people don't hear. The text goes on to say, Jesus was irate and let them know it. Don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. But we have. Churches, Christians, disciples have pushed children away have pushed people away, and have gotten between Jesus and them throughout history. Both history and today's headlines are full of terrible examples of people calling themselves followers of Jesus, getting between children and Jesus. And we don't have to retell the heartbreaking stories of pastors and teachers and priests, but we dare not forget that it is absolutely 
possible. The disciples in this story were so sure they had gotten it right. That's the terror for all of us. They were absolutely confident that for whatever reason, they were sure they were right when they said children should be kept away from Jesus. Oh, we could talk about all the reasons why we think they'd come up with that. But for whatever it was, they got it wrong. Which makes us think and ask the question, what opinions, beliefs, and assumptions might we have that we've gotten wrong? Who are we shooing away from Jesus for totally unhelpful and inappropriate and wrong reasons? I admit that I have believed ridiculous things. So, for instance, not recently. Everything I know now is perfectly right. But back then, back then, I, I believed that at some point in the future, Jesus would return and Christians would rise up and uh, meet him in the air. And those who are living would rise up from wherever they are and those who are in the grave would rise from the dead and graves would open and all Christians would meet Jesus in the air. Now, that is not ridiculous. There are many Christians who believe that. What was ridiculous is that I believe that and Christians have to believe this. They have to believe, this is called the rapture. They have to believe in the rapture or they won't get to participate in the rapture. Not only do you have to be a Christian, but you got to believe just exactly the right things. That's what I believe. So I would send this postcard to people. See, there's Jesus in the air. People are rising from their tombs and things. And, and see the, the crashes that are happening? That's because Christians are, you know, Christian pilots and drivers are, you know, disappearing. And uh, don't ever ride with a Christian because <laughs> you never know. Um, and then I would just, I would, I would get this postcard and I would address it to friends who didn't believe in the rapture and just sign it, uh, having a wonderful time, wish you were here. So, um, uh, and uh, so we can have fun with the truth, uh, but the truth is the disciples got something very important, very wrong. And so can we. So we can ask ourselves, who are we shooing away from Jesus unnecessarily? Jesus rebukes them for it. He even says we have to become more like children. And that's the core of the third lesson. We only get in by becoming like children. Jesus said, mark this, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Uh, Now, Jesus does not go on to explain what the kingdom is in this text. And I am so excited to teach and to share about the kingdom of God when we have more time in a text where Jesus is describing it. But for now, uh, what he says is, unless you become like a child, unless you have the simplicity of a child, you won't get in. So uh, I think that a good word for us related to simplicity is humility. Unless you have the humility of a child, you're not going to get in. And uh, with humility, I say this because with humility, people brought children to Jesus that he might touch them. And without humility, the disciples shooed them away. Oh, we understand what Jesus wants, and it's not you. Go away. 
And without humility, we are going to get it wrong. We are going to get it wrong. Even when we get something right, if it isn't done with humility, we'll get it wrong. If we make plans for this church and for its future, even when we hire a new senior pastor, when we find the right person, if we've done it without humility, we will get it wrong. Because because faith in Christ is built on a foundation of humility, and if you get the foundation wrong, the building is going to be wobbly. We have to have humility. It's easy to figure, figure that we have got everything right. Uh, after all, we have seminaries. We have hundreds of years of teachers and doctrines and creeds and denominations telling us that they've got it all figured out. We can get all of the wisdom of the gospel into a little track now that can be read in a couple minutes. And... Uh, one of the things uh, that you hear people say is, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. What I actually think they're saying is, God said it, my church interpreted it, and I'm not going to spend any time trying to figure it out. I'm just going to believe whatever they tell me. Uh, and I, and uh, that, my friends, is not wisdom, it's arrogance. And arrogance went out the window for me, I hope, in 2012. I actually... I actually had a lesson in humility. And I hope that you have a lesson in humility about your faith, about what we believe. Who knew that I would discover and find humility when I looked in a hole in a canyon in the Middle East? So I was on a trip to Israel, like many people do, and uh, we saw the Holy Land. It was absolutely fantastic. It's, I had the same experience Christians have when they go, and that is that they... They see these places where Jesus walked and where he fed the 5,000 and when, where the upper room and where he hung on the cross and where he was buried and where he rose again. It's unbelievable. It's life-changing. It is transforming. It's overwhelming. All of that is true. Uh, and then I also experienced what Christians experience in, the, in Israel, and it's this. When the tour guides and others tell you, this is where that happened. This is where he fed the 5,000. This is where he was in the upper room. This is where he died. This is where he rose again. They always have to include the two words, we think, because they don't know. We don't know if this is exactly where it was. And in some of the places, when you say this is the road that he walked on towards Calvary, what they mean is 20 feet below. Because for 2,000 years, things have been growing up, and it's not the actual road, it's, but it's on top of the road. It's, it's close. And in all of these places, there are churches. Every single place that we think Jesus did something, somebody built a church. And they're gorgeous, they're beautiful, and you get to worship God in them. And they've been built in the last hundreds, maybe a thousand years. um, And it's glorious to worship God in those places. Um, And when I was in Israel, we also did a side tour to Jordan, which is right next door. And we went to Petra. This should look familiar to you. Have you seen this in pictures? Uh, Indiana Jones went here to find the Holy Grail. And it's been in Transformers and in other TV. I mean, it's spectacular. Of course, people use it in movies and things. This is uh, the city of Petra. And this particular place is the most famous. It's called the Treasury. 
and um, it's carved out of a cliff. That is 120 feet tall, and the cliff continues up. So I don't know if the canyon is 150 feet, something like that. Anybody ever been to the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C.? It's about 80 feet tall. So uh, if you were to stand and look at the Lincoln Memorial, you'd look like this. You'll go to Petra, and it's like this. And the, the, the amazing thing about how they designed this place is that there's a canyon before you get to it. It's almost a mile-long canyon, and it is as wide as this section of the church, wide enough for a chariot and a cart to get through, and um, 150 feet tall. So it almost never gets sunlight in the bottom because the, the walls are too high and the, the canyon is too narrow. And the floor of the canyon is cobblestone. But it's not cobblestone like we would see in England. It's big, huge uh, rocks, smoothed and flattened, that the Romans put in. Because this is part of the Roman road that connected the Roman Empire thousands of years ago. And what struck me as I was walking down this very narrow column was that I was walking actually on the cobblestones that the Romans walked on, that earlier people thousands of years, this is the real thing. It's right here. It hasn't changed. And then you come out into the canyon, out of this amazing canyon, and this is what's right in front of you. And you look up, and it's amazing, and you realize that they think that Petra was um, first established around 9,000 years ago. Uh, and then these began to be built, and uh, they think maybe a couple thousand years ago that this was built. And men, and perhaps women, hung from ropes dangling from the top and, and used hand chisels to carve this. Why? It's a monument. It's a tomb. It, it, you don't go inside. There is a room, but it's carved in about 10 feet deep and then a, a room to put a couple coffins in and then they close it up. It's a tomb. It, it's not, there's no Holy Grail in it. I'll, spoiler alert. So, um, and, uh, but it is, imagine, imagine this thing. It's just awe-inspiring. But that's not what gave me a lesson in humility. What that came when our Jordanian Christian tour guide called us over, and it was over here on the left-hand side, right below those pillars, out in front of it, there's a hole. It's 10 by 20 feet, and there's a chain-link fence around it or over it so that you can't fall in. And he says, come and look. And I went and looked. Our team, our group went, and we looked down in there. There's no lights down there, so it's only the sunlight shining in, so it, it's dark, but you can see something. And it took our breath away. It took mine away because down in that hole is another one of these. We aren't standing in a 150-foot canyon. We are standing in a 300-foot canyon that had one of these built so long ago that the sands of time has filled the canyon halfway and the great, 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 great grandchildren of the ones who built the first one started on the second. And that humbled me because I realized, oh my gosh, people have been thinking about 
life and death for a long time. About gods. And then about God. And then about Jesus Christ. And my Jordanian Christian tour guide traces his family lineage back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And his family has been studying Scripture. And people have been trying to understand the Holy Scripture for a long time. And I realized how arrogant of me and my little denomination to think that we figured it out. Oh, thank God for America because we figured it out. And we were able to get it onto a little track and and little sheets of paper. It's Scripture. It's people have been trying to understand this for thousands of years. And I want to just say we should have a little humility. And here's an interesting thing. You know, we have, we're part of a, a, a denomination. And every denomination thinks they got it right. And we have creeds and we have doctrines and we have all these things that say, you know, this is the way it is. Do you know who doesn't believe us? All the other denominations. They all think we got it wrong. And we think they got it wrong. But every one of us thinks we got it right. Humility. I'm not saying we're wrong. But the disciples were. The disciples were wrong about the simplest and most important lesson they could ever have learned. Don't get between children and Jesus. And they got it wrong. So I want to say to us, let's with humility ask, who are we bringing to Jesus? And who are we shooing away unnecessarily because of attitudes and opinions and beliefs that maybe, just maybe, we got wrong? And even if it's right, is it important enough to keep people away from Jesus? There are people around every corner who need him. Let's go find them. Let's pray.